hello, hello, and welcome to another Upgrade Your Skills with AI podcast episode by creativespark.ai, where I have conversations with professionals who use AI to upgrade their creative, technical, and business skills. I'm your host, Marshall Lewin. If you want to get a hold of me, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, right there. You can get a hold of me right there, Marcelo at creativespark.ai. Also, remember to go check out creativespark.ai for more episodes and other shows focus on helping you upgrade your skills with AI. Now, today's episode is a really cool one, uh, very near and dear to my heart. I love generative AI and I love filmmakers and we're gonna mix all that up and see what filmmakers need to know about generative AI. Now, I have a real great expert, Pinar Sehan Demerdash. He's an AI director, a AI director and co-founder of Sehan Lee, which is an AI-focused studio. So having said that, let's go ahead and bring her in. Pinar, welcome, glad to have you here. Thank you, Marcelo, a pleasure to be with you. Um, I found out about you, you've done a lot of writing, which it's gonna be listed in the show notes. I want people to go check out all your articles. You've done some great articles, but um, today we're gonna be talking about filmmakers and generative AI, which is all the hot thing. And it's one of the, the most affected industries is filmmaking, right? With all of this going on. So um, let's start a little bit about your background. Tell us how you got into filmmaking and, and art. I know you're uh, an art person as well. So I'll let you take over there. Thank you. My background is in creative technologies. Uh, before um, generative AI found me and possessed me, <laughs> I have been a digital artist. Uh, I, um, I've been in uh, collaboration with a Dutch designer, Dutch artist called Viola. We were signing under our names. We did really cool projects. Like we have a collection under our name in all IKEAs in the world. Uh, we did stained glass windows for a Jewish synagogue. Hmm. Uh, we made partnerships with Nike, Adidas, and our work has been acquired by um, renowned international museums and exhibited in several galleries. So, uh, like I'm, I'm an artist uh, by birth, uh, but my life changed in 2017, big early 2018, when uh, we received an email from Google, Google Arts and Culture in Paris, in partnership with Google Brain in Zurich saying that they invented generative AI. Of course, this is not their words, but I'm simplifying for illustration right. purposes. And then it looked like my body of work as an artist. So here, what is not to confuse is that some data sets are trained on the work of an artist. And then some artists say that this looks like my body of work. No, it's much more fundamental than that. Uh, the inventor of Deep Dream, one of the main uh, generative AI uh, picture-based algorithms, Alexander Morvinsev, uh, like he's classified in the ranks of uh, Ian Goodfellow, like the inventor of GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he was uh, toying with, um, with uh, future visualizations, like how neural networks define and recreate the futures of faces of objects. And then while he was experimenting, he was researching, he stumbled upon a tool that makes art and art like visuals that never existed mm. before. Very quantum, very recursive. And his discovery ended up looking like my body of work as an artist. So in 2018, at the very early days of uh, generative AI revolution, uh, I got summoned by the world's biggest um, technology company and got introduced to generative AI. Now I have a question on that. It, did it um, come out with art that was similar to yours because it was trained on 
your art among others, or it's just happened that that's what the AI did? Uh, good question. Rather the second. Uh, I have always interested in creating recursive quantum worlds. But of course, till that day, I didn't know a word of AI. Like I was simply making graphics that were very ecstatic, very rich, very coming from uh, very different worlds, but having a holistic unity. And then uh, maybe late, later on, I can send you a picture and you can show it to the audience. Yeah. But if you squint... They look exactly the same. It's really crazy. One is entirely made by a machine, mm -hmm. uh, how neural networks build up uh, features, and the other one is made by a human, but they look the same. That's amazing. So um, moving fast forward, because obviously you have a, an extensive background, but moving fast forward, you have now a studio, an AI-focused studio called Sehan Lee. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. You're doing some cool stuff, not just projects, but also product-wise. Yes. Uh, so um, after I found myself in the center of uh, generative AI in 2018, I was like, this is going to change the way we experience the world around us. Mm -hmm. As an artist, I, it, I, I simply knew as a creator that this is going to change the way we make films, the way we express ourselves. It's like uh, generative AI is like uh, the invention of photography. It's going to change every profession. So I was, uh, I always wanted to be involved in uh, filmmaking and movies, but as an artist in Europe, it was simply like a gigantic leap for me. Then uh, I met my life and work partner, Gary Kepke, who's uh, also the co-founder of Sehan Lee together with me. And his background is in filmmaking and marketing and design. So we combine his uh, film background and my creative technologies background and uh, gave birth to Sehan Lee, our company in 2020. We started with uh, education and uh, creative services to marketing and film companies in their leap towards generative AI. We did um, some of the highlights. Uh, we did the brand essence video of Star Atlas, a renowned uh, metaverse gaming company based on Solana. So we told a very beautiful story by using uh, their game graphics, their CG mm -hmm. graphics, and we married it with AI graphics and then told a beautiful story. Uh, we won. Uh, we did the world's first brand-funded uh, film, uh, like a short film for Beko. Um, they're very big. They were the main sponsor of FC Barcelona. Uh, they're a um, uh, home goods manufacturer, mm -hmm. and then uh, we did their coming up uh, their sustainability stand film, a very artistic, beautiful film. Uh, it's made in collaboration with AI and a live action, so it's both. Uh, we again created and produced the film. Uh, we did the first. Uh, Can I interrupt AI... you there for one second? Because I love Please. how you said, I, I love how you said in collaboration with AI. And this is to me is very important uh, because people are all, you know, how people are right now. They're very worried about being replaced by AI. And I liked mm -hmm. your, your, your specific choice of word collaboration. Can you expand a little bit? And I'm sorry again to interrupt you, but I just want to. Mm -hmm. Expand, what do you mean by in collaboration? What, how did you and AI collaborate it in this project? If you could give some details. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, that particular project in, and in all our projects, we use generative AI. So mm -hmm. the very difference between any other tool and generative AI is that with a normal tool, you only use that tool and you only have an interaction with that tool when you have the, uh, like mind function of working with it. Like this is a pen, it's a tool. I'm going to go and pick up my pen and I'm going to write a story. 
Whereas with generative AI, uh, you create a data set, you combine a bunch of things, and then you let the machine, uh, you program the machine. I, I never like to use the word create because only humans create and machines generate, machines produce. So you let the machine produce a bunch of outcomes. And then you as the creator, as the visionary, as the leader, as the boss, you have a look to the outcomes and you go, this is not going to work. Let's do it better. And then the uh, software, the machine, uh, when I am using the word machine, I also do not want to give any human properties to the machine either. So I know that a lot of Hollywood films programmed us when we're thinking of machines, we're thinking of cyborgs. I simply mean a bunch of code and a bunch of algorithms and um, like hardware that runs on batteries. So maybe we rather use algorithms as a uh, as a uh, definition. So you let the algorithm propose um, different results, but you at all time are in control as the human. You so craft, it's like you craft these results yes, as you get them. It's like a butler that. Uh, that does whatever you ask it to be in its within its capacity. It's it's like a musical director that is that is in control of that whole orchestra, right? And yes. telling which instrument to come in when and for how long. Yes, knowing um, so as you said in my writings, what is the most important for me, more than even my job, is for humanity to understand our place when working with algorithms. We are in control. And as long as we know that we are in control, we know that we are the one that is in power. Instead of looking at the machines for power or instead of looking at the machines for answers, if we keep on positioning uh, machines as uh, our assistants, we will make sure that they contribute our elation instead of us contributing their development. Right, right. Uh, totally, totally makes sense. So let's let's get a little bit into uh, the weeds here with generative AI. So to bring mm -hmm. it sort of everybody up to kind of like on the same line so we can all move forward on talking. But um, define from a filmmaker's point of view, what is generative AI? I mean, we talk about generating and creating content, right? But how is that different than we, we've been talking about AI for years, 20, 30 years, let's even further back we can go. Mm -hmm. But what's the difference between traditional AI and generative AI and why is it so hot now? Yes, um, so I, 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 would, um, I would not use the word traditional AI and generative AI. Uh, there are several, uh, AI is like, a, it's, a, it's a very large field that is being developed every single day further. And generative AI is, um, let's say, a notion that falls under the category of machine learning, that mm -hmm. falls under the larger category of uh, supervised learning, unsupervised learning, and reinforcement learning. Meanwhile, AI as an umbrella term also includes narrow AI, reactive machines, theory of mind, and limited memory. So these things that I just cited include weather forecasting, uh, self-driving cars, game-playing AIs, uh, um, uh, identification of labeled objects, and so on and so forth. So if, if we were to refer as what you know as AI that we know, it includes like a super broad scope. Even like a, the Waze app that you're using to uh, go to your mother's house is also running on AI. So AI has been a, a very prominent part of our life from small to medium scale for a long time. Long time, uh, 
relatively long time anyways. Yeah, in technology, long time. Yes, but when it comes to generative AI and why is a thing right now uh, is because um, it was available until 2022. It was available for uh, businesses to conduct uh, better operations, uh, optimize their customers, uh, optimize their um, outcomes. It was a very business-oriented, like a business-to-business -business solution. Very data-oriented, Exactly. So, uh, but we are very creative creatures as human beings. And then uh, there's nothing we, we want more than self-express. And uh, there's nothing we want more than tools that truly help us in our uh, 101 day-to-day, 24-hour, seven life. And in my opinion, what really like uh, made the generative AI a sen global sensation, it was with Midjourney. It was mm. with Dali, obviously. Like Midjourney tech started with a uh, with open AI tech. So Midjourney took uh, the API of an open AI and uh, but then added this wonderful layer of artistic add-on, and then uh, made every single human on the planet to express themselves like a full-on artist. And I think that was really like that showed us how much we were yearning to creatively self-express. But due to uh, self-imposed limitations, such as you don't have time, you don't have talent, it's not running in your genes, it's not about the family. So I think it really like a generative AI really made us more than technical leap. It was more like a philosophical leap that we went through. And now, of yeah. course, like things just came, uh, took on a different uh, toll with a GPT-3. Right, and ChatGPT, which came out as well. Just to be clear, Midjourney is a uh, generative art, right? AI for, for art and graphics versus um, like ChatGPT, which is mainly for text and code and things like that. Um, so every, all of this is powered by what they call uh, text prompts, right? So maybe talk a little bit about that, because I think to me that that is the the newest skill that people really need to have, right? I mean, in the developer community, they're talking about the newest programming language is English. Because uh, of chat, right? Yes. And no, I, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thought on, on text prompt engineering and how is that, how important is that for filmmakers to really start understanding this? Yes, uh, text prompting, uh, was not around as widely as it is today uh, before 2011, 2021, sorry. Mm -hmm. So when I entered in the generative AI world, uh, there were several different picture-based models that we were using to make art and films. Uh, but um, j just to uh, make sure that we're on the same page, you said all of it is powered by prompting. It's It will be a part of it is powered right. by prompting. Yeah. So we have text to uh, video, uh, which is very small, like in super development, but um, we have text to image like Mid Journey, Dali, Stable Diffusion. We have text to 3D that uh, several uh, researchers are uh, exploring, especially companies like Nvidia, Apple, Google, uh, and others, and a lot of open source uh, papers are being written. Uh, so about if we were to talk about prompting, and uh, it, it is simply different if you are if you are writing as a conversation for chat GPT, uh, it's a fairly it's a very different experience if you are writing uh, to get uh, picture based outputs like with Midjourney. So if your question is more like prompting in Midjourney, 
it's a it's really growing like a new art skill. We call them in our company at Sehanli, which I believe we will later also talk about Kubrick, which is uh, uh, the tool we invented that is based on text to image for filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's an entirely different skill set to be able to prompt in mid journey than to be able to prompt in stable diffusion than to be able to prompt in Dali. These are uh, three, three different skill sets. Okay, that's an excellent point you brought up, right? Because we always talk about prompting mainly from ChatGPT's point of view, right? When you're prompting there or GPT-3. Um, so each of these tools will have their own, um, a mixture of art and science, right? So can let's, from your perspective, define uh, text prompting in general, and then what makes it um, specific to a tool? Not so much the actual, like for Mergenry, you have to do this, and for Dolly, you have to do that, but what makes it specific for each tool? Why are there different parameters you can add or? Hmm. Uh, well, it's, um, yes, of course, uh, every tool has their own different para parameters. For example, writing a style and also what we, uh, before I speak, I have to specify something. Uh, these tools are uh, invented by corporations and groups of people. And uh, every other month or every three months or especially every six months, very major updates are released. So if you were an amazing prompt engineer with stable diffusion 1.5, you probably suck at 2.1. <laughs> so you have to, you have to uh, become right. a new person every every with every update but um like i can talk about like a year about this but if we are, if i were to summarize like um like a little giveaway uh mid journey works very well with styles make something in the style of this person whereas um stable diffusion 2.1 isn't uh the new version is not taking that cue very well like these these nuances Got it. Got it. Okay. But I think it's a really important to be a good communicator in general, right? I mean, if you're a good communicator and can communicate, and what I mean by good communicator, I mean, communicating your vision. If you can communicate your vision for a person to understand, you'll have a pretty good luck with having the AI engine understand. And I think that's where I, I'm, I'm kind of excited about because it's bringing language back in the front where mm -hmm. we were all lost in emojis and, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, maybe maybe writing is coming back. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I, if I were to talk about, uh, I'm, I'm solemnly focusing your question from the point of view of text to picture, text uh -huh. to image. And then actually there's a super balance. Like for example, uh, our tool Kubrick uh, mm -hmm. runs on stable diffusion 2.1. We realize that if you define the environment that you would like to see to the end detail, you're less likely, likely to get a nicer result than if you were to define the environment you want to see mm -hmm. in a super broad scope. So there's not really like a math, like you have to do it. It's all like a trial and error. It's, it's a beautiful dance between yeah. yeah, your knowledge and machine's capacity, but definitely like a good communicator, a hundred percent, but also uh, like an, like, um, how can I say, you have to have a certain understanding of depth of field, environment, ambiance, light, uh, art history, cinema history. Um, depends on where you want to excel. Yeah, yeah. And, and it makes it makes a lot of sense. And also it's uh, another argument for people that are worried about losing their jobs. Like, no, I mean, you're going to become an expert at all these tools. You still need the expertise in 
lighting, camera angles, lenses. I mean, because you're going to be defining this stuff. So even though you're not there drawing it, you still need a lot of understanding. So AI won't replace you. You just have to adapt, right, to these new tools. Well, with the advent of every new technologies, there has been people that lost jobs and there has been others that gained jobs. Did you know that in the beginning of 1900s, there was a job called knocker uppers, little boys that were hired in England with a long stick because this was pre-alarm clocks. You were paying them for them to knock on your window. So when alarm clocks came in, he lost his job, but then alarm clock factories opened. When iPhone came out or any other um, smartphone, uh, alarm clocks diminished, but then iPhone factories opened. So it's like, um, it's a beautiful dance of positive and negative that are creating each other. And depending your perspective and your initial reaction will define your position where you will end up. Right. Right. I agreed. Um, let's talk a little bit about filmmaking and, and generative AI in general now and, and jump into, um, let's talk about your tool because your tool, we're talking about virtual production, right? And the ability, I'll, I'll let you define the whole thing, but before you jump into exactly what you do, tell us virtual production for people that don't know what virtual production is. Yes, of course. So I started explaining Sehanli, let me continue there a little bit for yeah. the audience to understand. So as I said, in 2020, Sehanli is founded to give creative services of generative AI to filmmakers. But then last year, uh, me and my co-founder, Gary, we visited for the first time a virtual production stage and decided that it was time to implement generative AI technology into that world. So what is a virtual production stage? Um, you know, it's, you know, green screen, everybody knows green screen. I actually have a green screen in my hands. Here. Yep. So this is a green screen. This is your stage. And this is a human. So you know how um, how filmmakers do it. And the camera is here. Let's say Marcelo is the camera. So actor is acting without knowing in front of what they're acting. It's just like, a, you know, it's Mars with pyramids. So they're acting. Okay, great. And then they fix anything that they want to do in the post-production. Oh, yeah, I changed my mind. I don't want Mars. I wanted this and da, 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 da. But then with the advent of virtual production that became popularized with the Mandalorian TV show of Disney in 2019, film production, the post became pre. So the Mars that you would like to see with pyramids started being made in pre-production, especially on game engines like uh, Unreal Engine, where when the actor no longer green screens, instead of the green screens, actors started acting in front of warehouses filled with LED stages. Gigantic warehouses where, let's say, this is no longer a green screen, but an LED cam- LED screen. Right now, when the actor is moving this way, since the, content, since the stage cannot move, the Unreal Engine environment is rendering real time towards the left with the actor. Right. So you're did, shooting okay. in production the environment already with the lighting reflections that come off of it and all of that stuff. Exactly. So the actor can act in front of the environment they're seeing and the DP can capture maybe even the final pixel on camera. Right. And these are pretty huge, though. And we've seen the virtual productions. They're huge, huge screens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, 
like all Avatar, like no, I don't want to say all, but like Avatar is uh, made with virtual production, Batman, Black Adam, uh, uh, the list is super long. Like Yeah. So your tool, um, because you need these landscapes, your tool does what? Yes. Uh, so as I explained earlier, in order for an environment uh, to function, to go left when the actor is going left, it needs to be rendered real time. So it needs to be designed in a game engine. It needs to be a three-dimensional environment. If it's a flat image and if the actor is moving this way and the camera needs to move this way, it will look as if it's a fake set because the environment needs to move with them. So three-dimensional environments are... Uh, are like standard for uh, virtual production sets. However, there's also the option of turning two-dimensional environments into what is referred as two and a half dimension, what is also referred as fake 3D. What happens in that case is that, let's say that I'm a tree and this is a mountain. Mm -hmm. In order to make two and a half dimension, you cut the tree out of a mountain and then you fill in the mountain with more mountain, and then you cut the mountain from the sky, and you cut the clouds from the sky, right. and then you have four different elements that are moving separate from each other, but in harmony in a fake three-dimensional environment. So our tool, Kubrick, is the first tool that streamlines this two and a half dimension creation, generation, uh, in painting, editing, uh, upscaling segmentation tool to make it ready for virtual production. And it's and it does this live, you said, in real time. So, yes, if you want to see, an, let's say that you're an expert prompter, because as we discussed earlier, just because yeah. you can type words on a machine, that doesn't mean that you will get a filmic environment. Let's say that you're a hyper advanced uh, prompter in Stable Diffusion 2.1 today, because that's the generative AI engine of Kubrick is. Then you're working with a director. You're the virtual art department of, uh, say, Stanley Kubrick. I'm saying whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, he would like to see, again, pyramids on Mars. In two seconds, you see pyramids on Mars. And he's like, this pyramid is too long. No, I want an obelisk. You get your eraser, you erase, and you make an obelisk instead. Okay, That's move it to the painting, right. called right there, right? That is called in painting, exactly. And whenever you are, let's say that you are satisfied with the outcome, your two-dimensional environment, the tool Kubrick automatically segments, in other words, rotoscopes, yeah. the, all the, elements. Uh, the all the elements from one another. So currently our tool uh, is in the beta stage. We announced the world as like Hollywood's first generative AI tool launched in December. We're welcoming uh, different studios for testing. But the commercial launch will be in March, where we will have three different segmentation, rotoscoping options, depth-based, shape-based, and object-based. So like all this time that uh, artists have been spending uh, tracing trees out of um, mountains, um, they will no longer have to do that. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. I'd love to actually see that. Uh, um, if you have a video that you can share, we'll share it with the audience as well. Um, so... That to me is an excellent uh, use of AI in, in, I guess that would be considered production at that point, because I mean, you're shooting, right? Um, what about from a post-production perspective? Let's talk about like deep fakes, de-aging, 
how is AI being used there? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, several things, of course. Deepfake is such a such a topic. Like, there's so much to say about it. Um, uh, but positively, deepfakes are being used for uh, de aging, obviously. Um, Solo, uh, the film of um, Star Wars, used mm -hmm. uh, Harrison Ford uh, at a younger version. Uh, it has been done for a while. It's, uh, I believe, uh, there has been a lot of uses in marketing as well. Um, uh, re not radical media. Um, somebody else, RSA, uh, Ridley Scott uh, mm -hmm. made a, Ridley Scott Associates um, made an uh, made an ad with William Beckham. Okay. No Beckham, no Beckham. What's his name? Beckham, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where he was, uh, where he was uh, presented as an older man two years ago. Mm. So this was, I believe, one of the first inst instances that I have seen it uh, on marketing. There's several, yes, of course. So deepfakes is one, like you said. But um, uh, actually, did you know that? I don't know if I. I don't think I don't. I know it's not generative AI, but um, the first use of AI. Happened with uh, happened with a uh, with the war scene of uh, Lord of the Rings in 2010. That was the first use of AI uh, in filmmaking. How did they use AI there? Uh, to replicate crowds, to create more crowds. I see. So uh, each Peter of them can Jackson's move independently, and yeah. Mm -hmm. So the crowds can move independently. Exactly. Uh, independently, well, but also replicate like the, the right. amount of crowds that are, and every single limp, uh, I believe, was generated with AI. I, I think a lot of these tools, which is interesting, it, it seems like it's democratizing because it's bringing costs down, right? It's bringing okay. costs down, yeah. which means that it's democratizing filmmaker filmmaking even more than digital did because digital did, was a huge leap for democratizing filmmaking right people didn't have to spend as much money as they did before with just film buying the film and processing the film um i mean what's your thought on that i mean is, well, do you do you agree with that statement first yes well there are actually a lot of other uh, generative ai potential use cases of filmmaking that goes behind the scenes that we are not aware like let's say if you are a virtual production studio with with who did a hundred different dragons before the net you know in every movie the director wants a different dragon but at the end of the day the dragon's skeletal structure is not that different than another dragon than it is different than a lamp so mm -hmm. if you were to train a data set with all the dragon skeletal st structures that you have it will make your life way more easier for the next dragon that a director hires you to uh, hires you to make so, like, uh, I think humans model their tools after themselves, just like they models model their kids after themselves. Uh, I cannot speak for anybody else, but I have only one goal. I simply want to model my tools to make my life easier. I have no intention for any brother or sister of mine to be replaced by AI. <laughs> it's simply like, uh, it's simply, if it's going to, if, uh, if VFX artist hate to do rotoscoping by hand if it's if they really hate to trace my hair out of my body and instead they can do really creative like concept art and other things and if i invent a tool that will help them not do that why would i not do it why why would we not help people and also like of course obviously generative ai in my opinion it's mainly doing three things to 
unlock human potential. Uh, one, uh, taking away dirty, dull, dangerous, and difficult parts of our job, like rotoscoping by hand, uh, or uh, doing over and over the same thing, robotic tasks. Mm -hmm. right. So it ends up being a tremendous uh, money and time and effort saver. Second, uh, unlocking creativity of those that thought that they never had. Like my mother can make artistic pictures. She's through the moon, like her life changed. You know, it's like, it just brings me to tears. I'm very happy for her. I'm very happy for everyone that feels creative. And the third, it enables, it's more the, it's really something where I put my heart in. Maybe less people's hearts are in there, but it's very important for me. Uh, these are like tools like the forum um, or uh, JAX, uh, Disco Diffusion. There are several different generative AI models out there that are under the radar, but that are highly important because they are developed by the open source community and because mm -hmm. they provide a visual outcome that does not look like our world. Like our world looks like, uh, like Newtonian physics. This person is different than this background, wears glasses and whatnot. It's like very identifiable. But these uh, generative AI tools, since they run on parallel processing, and since their understanding of uh, real-world physics is not set yet, they're like in interim technology. They're like in between. They're not great, but they're not zero. They're somewhere in between. And the somewhere in between time provides us with results that reminds us of quantum worlds, like fever dreams, hallucinations, uh, astral journeys, visualization of emotions, very ethereal uh, very like mystic visualizations of what is. So th that is really what excites me here. Well, I think that's really interesting. And how, how can then we apply something like that to, let's say, storytelling and start creating stories that even humans maybe haven't thought about uh, creating? Yeah. How, how can we use a tool like that? I mean, right now you can ask ChatGPT to create a storyline based on some prompts and some background you give it, right? And it could create a storyline for you. Um, how, how can we use a tool like you just explained, some of these models that um, don't know the real world uh, and, can, and we can start really coming out with some amazing creative stories that it seems like lately we've been rehashing stories after stories, right? Yeah, uh, ChatGPT, I find it a great tool to inspire me and give me ideas. But uh, at the end of the day, whenever I asked, I use ChatGPT for a creative outcome, I have been very disappointed. And I always end up, like, for example, um, I use ChatGPT to find slogans or write like product descriptions and whatnot. Uh, systematically, I've been very disappointed because I'm a very creative person. My background is in pure creativity. And unless the slogan is not creative or catchy or witty or extremely smart, I'm not mm -hmm. interested. So I always end up calling my best friend who's a copywriter. Hey, ChatGPT failed. Why don't you help? So uh, I am 100% pro using tools to inspire us in our writing and in our creativity, but only if it passes through our artistic and creative filter. So I'm 100% pro working with ChatGPT to write a story, like a short story of a little girl, da, 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 da. And then you can say, this is not creative enough. Give me more examples. And then maybe you go to bed. You as a human, you dream of a new idea. You come back. 
okay, I have a new subplot, da, da, da. you can build it with the machine, fantastic. And then you can use several different tools, analog tools, old school tools, like a normal camera. You can mm -hmm. use generative AI tools. As a human, you can be like, what today generative AI game is really like, it really doesn't fit my artistic uh, preference. I'm gonna toss this, I'm gonna have more filmmaking and less generative AI. Or another time you're more inspired and you really like what you're seeing. So it's again, a beautiful dance of uh, human creativity and generative tools always under the um, quality control of the human. Now, it's interesting what you said about um, you don't find it creative enough. Do you feel that creativity can be taught or you basically are born with it? And the, where I'm heading with that, I'm not trying to trick you or anything, but where I'm heading with that is um, if you feel it can't be taught, then does that, doesn't that mean that we can teach ChatGPT to be more or, or whatever model in the future? Right now we're talking about ChatGPT. But to have a an engine that is really focused on creativity, so you can really use it to generate these hyper creative uh, stories that you're looking for or slogans. Uh, yeah, I will uh, maybe say something very controversial. Uh, while I wholeheartedly believe in that, for me, there's only one definition of creativity: God-given novelty, new, a new, net new unique to you by way of your God-given consciousness. Mm. So equating creativity with machines is like um, trying to tell a knife that it's actually a giraffe. It's just simply uh, semantically two different realities. Yeah. Yeah. However, you can train a machine with an endless amount of pictures or an endless amount of words and an endless amount of comedy and creativity and if the algorithm and the data set is uh, very well made, then the result will yield in very be believable, satisfying results. But here is the catch. If ever Panar were to die today, let's say that I'm a writer and I wrote 10 different scripts for Hollywood films and none of them were accepted. And if you were to mimic me and my consciousness and make me uh, a, a digital being, an artificial intelligence that lives forever. You know what's going to happen? That AI's scripts will never be bought by Hollywood. The difference between a human being and a machine is that human beings can bear miracles. Let's say that I'm working at a job 24 hours, seven, and I really hate it. But my parents worked in jobs that they really hated. So I learned from my parents to work senselessly and hate my job and I'm 50 years old, and my wife or my husband is hating me, and then one day I wake up, like one day, just like that, I'm like, I will change my life today. I will lose weight, I will be a better version of myself, I will stop being angry, and I will only do what I love, and I will love my husband and my kids more. No machine can bear that miracle. Right. Machines can only repeat what they are taught. Right, right. At least for today, right? We'll see what happens in 30 or 50 years. Who knows where we're headed? But you're correct. Yeah, for today, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we're getting pretty close to the end, but I do want to tackle a couple of concerns and challenges with AI in general. Uh, um, let's let's tackle the the ethical considerations of deepfakes, right? It's a it's a marvelous invention. It's something that you can you can de-age actors and and make them do scenes that they couldn't before. But then there's the negative side of things. So 
um, how, how do we strike that balance? What do we do? I mean, you know, you can't stop progression of technology because it can be used yeah. for bad things, right? Because that's everything. But how do we do, how do we deal with that? Uh, I will uh, dip back to an earlier uh, conversation point with you, new jobs that are being created. There's actually a company called StarGen uh, mm -hmm. based in Europe owned by uh, a Russian duo. Uh, what they do is that they brought it to my uh, understanding that apparently deepfake crimes is a real thing in Russia. Uh, like you have TV shows with Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, whatnot, Jason Statham, obviously done without their consent. It's like mm. super cheap productions of a couple of thousand dollars featuring Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt. It looks really <laughs> like horrible. Like you, you get nauseous when you watch them. Mm. But uh, I don't understand the intent behind them. But uh, I know that it is, uh, uh, it's not positive. It cannot be positive. So what that company StarGen does is that uh, they fight the rights of celebrities. So they basically sue uh, these uh, individuals. And also, let's say you're Julia Roberts. And then you obviously can have, uh, the technology is not ready yet, but in five years it will be. You're Julia Roberts and you can only act in, let's say, three movies a year maximum. So you will start giving your uh, picture rights to generative AI companies that will take your right uh, respectfully uh, by signing contracts with your agent. And you will be featured on several different films than only three. I see. So, but... It... Right now, uh, Carrie Fisher still appeared on Star Wars after she passed away. Yes. So is this is a new world? I mean, so are people giving their rights beyond their life? I mean, we <laughs> know that they did question. that with film. They did that with film, right? Where you yeah. continue being in that film. But here we're talking yeah. about not replaying something you were in. Yeah. We're talking about using you, the person, yes. to continue creating. Yes. Well, this sounds great, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that agents will involve uh, image rights after passing uh, in the clause of uh, contracts, definitely. It's a pretty crazy world. <laughs> I know, it's, it's actually very fun. You know what it is? It's quantum thinking. We, ha we as a humans, I'm gonna say something uh, very consciousness oriented. We as humans, uh, until 2020, we had a very linear understanding of reality. You're mm -hmm. born, you get educated, you got a job, you get, uh, you get married, you get you know, kids, and then you die. Whereas mm -hmm. with the advent of um, several different things, especially like changing, uh, changing astrological ages, like we completely changed an era. We entered in the age of Aquarius, like the, uh, mm, the forces that were leading former generations are entirely different than those that are le leading this generation as of 2020. So also AI with its quantum nature is helping us go beyond our linear understanding of what is, starting with the way we use our tools. It's no longer linear, it's quantum. The way we exist is no longer linear, it's quantum. Well, wait till, because I'm a huge believer of the metaverse and VR before it was known as the metaverse. Once you have that other reality and they all mix together, uh, then you won't know what is the real reality and what is, I mean, we're talking about matrix, right? But, but I think we're headed that way. Uh, I would caution about matrix because what matrix tells us is that 
humans gave up their power to the machines and right. machi they let the machines take over and turned humans into energy sources. So, so actually, Matrix is a reality where humans did not wake up to their own power, hence let the machines take over, and machines understood their power and started using humans as batteries. Right, right, right. Yeah, I meant more of the we're living in a world that we can't tell the difference. But you're right, there is that negative connotation. Of course, there were people in the Matrix that actually chose that took that uh, blue pill, right? They wanted the blue pill, not Absolutely. the red pill. I, I'm um, the biggest I, fan of Matrix, by the way. Wachowskis I, are like my idols. So. It's funny because when I was younger, I always said, I'm always going to take the red pill. Now, as I get older, no, just give me the blue, blue pill. It's so much easier. <laughs> I'm red pill forever. <laughs> it's so much. I don't know. Maybe I'll change. But right now, blue pill is so much easier. Anyway, um, let's let's close this up and talk about this. It's a paradigm shift uh, for the entire world but specifically for filmmakers. And you have to get on this paradigm shift. What should filmmakers do today to get ready for this huge shift coming, which has already started? Yes, um, very good one. Be uh, uh, follow, I can, I can give you a list of who to follow. Maybe you can put it you after. Mean besides Creative Spark? No, I'm kidding. Uh, of course, you and well, no, no, but, uh, no. Give us, give us a list is good, and we'll put it in the show notes. But I want your opinion. What do you feel filmmakers need to do to get ready for this paradigm shift? What does your 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 experience tell you? Uh, don't be afraid. Hmm. First of all, it's really, it's really that's it's. I'm giving you a golden key to unlock many different practical answers that I can cite till the day ends. Like, stop being afraid. Like, um, generative AI is, is not a competition, it's a tool. Just like digital cameras came and uh, uh, when filmmakers just hated these heavy digital cameras with low resolution, right. with like heavy batteries, it was like shit. Everybody hated <laughs> it, great. But others embraced it. And you can always make a real film today. Did you know that out of 330 movies that were distributed last year, only five are filmed on real film, including um, a bullet train. So yeah, you it's will more only... of an artistic choice now as opposed exactly. to the default. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you encapsulated it perfectly. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because change is coming and change yeah. is always coming, especially in the filmmaking exactly. industry. It's always been about moving forward. Right. So. Pinar, it's been a true pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, um, that what would be the best way? Uh, visit Sehanli website, uh, sehanli.com. I'm very active in LinkedIn. Uh, they can go to my page, Pinar Demirda. Um, yeah. Excellent. Pinar, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marcelo. And thanks to the rest of you. I cut you off there. Sorry about that. Thanks to the rest of you for watching. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Remember to watch, um, could go check out Upgrade Your Skills with AI podcast for more podcast episodes on Creative Spark AI. And I've got uh, lots of other shows all focused on helping you upgrade your creative, technical, and business skills using AI. And as always, if you want to get a hold of me, Marcelo at creativespark.ai. So we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you.